You know, when I was growing up in my little country Presbyterian church, we used to sing heartily an old hymn entitled, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. My faith has found a resting place. And, and, and on we would sing. And I don't know why, but whenever we sang that song in my childhood imagination, I always pictured a bird fluttering, flying, but couldn't find a place to light. And not just any bird, but it was always that dove that we learned about in Sunday school that Noah sent out. The poor dove went out. It couldn't find a place to rest. And I just imagined it coming back exhausted to Moses. He sent out the dove a second time. And I was so relieved to find out that on that time, that dove found a place to rest in an olive tree and it brought back an olive leaf to Noah. Now, this is an aside. This has nothing to do with the sermon, okay? So don't take deduct, deduct minutes from the sermon time. But I do want to say this. As we relaunch Equip, and I want to speak to those of you who are volunteering to teach our children, you never know what's happening in a child's imagination. You never know how the Lord will use the things you say to change them and to create images in their mind. You know, it's a, it's a weighty privilege that we have, isn't it, to teach our children. So, so pray about that and do it well uh, for their sake and for the glory of God. Now, back to the point. I've been singing that song, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place, for all these weeks that we've been in these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Though a bird is nowhere mentioned in the song and though a bird is nowhere mentioned in these verses, that childhood image keeps coming to my mind. The incessant motion of the bird's wings, flittering, fluttering, looking here, looking there for a place to rest. And that describes our lives. Without exception, without exception, every person is a person of faith. All people are just looking for a place for that faith to land. Some people have faith that there is no such thing as faith, and they rest in that. Some people have complete faith that there is no God, and their faith rests in that. Some people have faith that this life is all there is. There is no more, and they have complete faith in that. For most of us here this morning, our faith is in Christ. He is the one in whom we trust. He is the one on whom we rely. He is the one in whom we place our confidence that he is indeed the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners. Those are the words we believe. Those are the facts upon which we rest. But our faith, listen, our faith must rest not in words alone. If your faith has lighted on words alone, then my prayer for you this morning is that your faith will take flight, that it will relaunch, and that it will come to rest again on a faith that is more than just words. Full faith goes beyond what words can describe beyond anything in this world. We must not rest on anything less than a full faith marked by the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the power of God. 
You and I must live in this world as if our faith is not of this world. We must live in this world as if our faith is not of this world. And that's what I want us to talk about as we return once again this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to take them out. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in the pew rack in front of you. And when you found your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's stand together so that we might hear read the word of the living God. These are the words of our king, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The apostle Paul writes, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Continue teaching it, teaching us through it. Add your blessing as you so faithfully do to the reading and hearing of your word. Grow our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In these verses, the Apostle Paul is very careful to clearly define for us what faith is and what faith is not. Faith is not just words, but it certainly includes words. Look in verse 1. Proclaiming, that requires words. Testimony, that requires words. Lofty speech, that requires words. Look in verse 4. Speech, that requires words. Message, that requires words. Plausible words certainly require words. Words, 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 words. But faith must be fuller than words spoken. And it seems that that's what the Apostle Paul is hinting at in verse 2. Look there. He writes, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, surrounded by all these word words, I wondered why Paul did not write here, for I decided to preach nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Preach seems to make more sense in this context than no. But then I realized that the word preach might be too limited. To use that word might indicate that our faith is and could rest only on words. But this word no that Paul uses opens up faith to something much fuller because the word that Paul chooses to use here for no, it means to be intimately acquainted with. It means to stand in close relation to, to experience And that's the word that Paul uses to describe his relationship with Christ. And so by using this word, Paul's showing the Corinthians and you and me 
that faith includes, but is more than propositional truths, more than the spoken facts about Jesus' life. Now, please hear me on this. These truths are glorious. Later on in chapter 15, Paul is going to write this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. These are the facts, and they are glorious. And they, the realities that they represent give us hope and change our lives. But the words lead us to Jesus, who is the word made flesh, the living word, the breathing word. And so full faith becomes not word on word on word on word, but life on life, our life on his life, his life on our life, his life in our life. Full faith rests on being intimately acquainted and connected to Christ. So what's your connection like? How full is your faith in this way? I know most of you believe the right words about Jesus, but how close are you standing to him? How well do you know him? How fully are you experiencing his life in you? Full faith rests on a vital connection with Christ. And so what Paul hints at in verse 2 with the word no, he clearly expresses in verse 4 and 5. Look there. He writes, my message was not in words, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's words were clearly present, were they not? He preached, he taught, but they were words accompanied by the Spirit. They were words accompanied by the power of God. Why? So that, Paul writes, the Corinthians would know that their faith must rest on more than words. It must also rest in the power of God. Words plus power plus spirit equals full faith. Paul makes it clear in these verses that our faith must rest on these things that are beyond ourselves. The Spirit of God, the power of God, these are present in full faith. Please do not hear me saying that our faith is not of words. It is. We must use our words to present our faith. We must use our words to defend our faith. But at the end of the day, our words do not make much sense, do they? It doesn't make sense that God would care about us, much less love us as greatly as he does. It doesn't make sense that God would leave the glory of heaven to live in this sin-decaying world with us. But he did. It doesn't make sense that he would die for us, but he did. And so now we are in the realm of what verse 6 calls a wisdom not of this age. 
And verse 7 calls a secret and hidden wisdom of God. And what verse 10 calls the depths of God. And what verse 11 calls the thoughts of God. And what verse 13 calls spiritual truths. These are the most real things in all of reality. And all of them, they're beyond us. But they are gifted to us by the Spirit of God and the power of God so that, so that, look in verse 14, look in verse 14, this might be one of the most remarkable, incomprehensible verses in all of Scripture, the power of God and the Spirit of God so that we might have the mind of Christ. Come on, can you believe that? We have the mind of Christ. Full faith is not of this world. And the reason I'm so passionate about highlighting this otherworldly reality of the spirit and power is that our natural tendency, yours and mine, seems to be content with a faith that is more of this world. We want to tame our faith. Our natural tendency is to let it rest on something we believe to be more solid, more tangible, more manageable, more understandable, more controllable. And this has been the tendency of believers since the church first began. It's over this tendency that the Apostle Paul seems incredulous when he writes to the believers in Galatia and asks them, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See what happened there? This bird-like faith of the Galatians had flown off to look for another place to rest. It was no longer for them the Word plus the Spirit of God plus the power of God. You and I must not give in to this tendency. Believe me, the irony is not lost on me about what's going on right now. As I stand here week by week, speaking words, 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 words. But I pray that through spoken words, each of us will come to realize that our faith is more than words. And I pray that the words spoken and believed will transport us to great expectations of other worldly things that the Spirit of God and the power of God can accomplish in us and through us with a full enlivened faith. I want us to consider a moment the otherworldliness of our faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, Hoped for things, unseen things. These are the substance of a full faith. John chapter 3, Jesus says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You cannot dictate, much less predict, the direction of the work of the Spirit. And so full 
Faith expects the unexpected and the unpredictable, and it hangs on for the ride. John 8, Jesus said, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Even though Jesus was in the world when he spoke these words, he understood and was aware of this dual reality. Full faith causes us to realize that because we are Christ's, because we belong to him, this is our reality as well. Not of this world, even while we are living in this world. In John 18, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Faith places you and me in Christ's kingdom, but his kingdom is not of this world, and so full faith compels you and me all of us to reach beyond ourselves, beyond the tools of the world, even beyond the weapons of the world for the otherworldly, spirit-powered things in order that we might live well in Christ's otherworldly kingdom here on earth. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Full faith seeks the Spirit of God and the power of God to help us think beyond the limited, flawed, inconsistent, ironical, hypocritical, sinful, often blasphemous thinking of this world. And likewise, Colossians 3 If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on the things that are of this earth. Full faith takes us beyond ourselves. Out of this world, even while we are living in it. And we must not be embarrassed by the otherworldliness to which our faith calls us. You and I, as individuals, and as a church, must extricate our faith from the limited smallness of this world. The church has not been called by Christ to look like the world in order that we might reach the world. It's true that Jesus came to live in this world, but the only way he became like us was in taking on human form and experiencing what we experience as human beings. Otherwise, he came to challenge the culture, not to accommodate it, not to affirm it, and certainly not to embrace it. He came to show the world how other God's ways are from the ways of the world to a culture lost in darkness. He came to be light To a culture dying in sin, he came to be life. To a broken world, he came to be the restorer. To a world sold into the slavery of sin, he came to be the redeemer, the releaser, the buy them back one. To a weak and weary world, he came to be the rock, our strength. For the last 60 years, 
Some churches have attempted to look like the world, to reach the world. That message was ringing in my ears, as I mentioned earlier in the service. When I came to plant this church over 20 years ago, and sometimes I listened to that message. Hide your other worldliness. Try not to look too otherworldly and know, maybe nobody will notice that you are, they said. Don't wear that robe, they said. Don't do that strange ritual Christians do of taking the Lord's Supper every week, they said. And for goodness sake, play three chords on a guitar and don't play an organ, they said. Don't talk too much about sin, they said. Be casual, relatable, less offensive, they said. Be that spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down, they said. Look like the world, sing like the world, and maybe the world won't notice we are different. Maybe they won't be offended, especially the young people. Then maybe they will accept us. Who knows? Then maybe they will join us. And so it should come as no surprise that many believers now look just like the world. Very difficult to distinguish a believer from the world. On the other hand, we have churches who retain all the forms of religion, all the pomp, all the liturgy. As scripture puts it, they have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. They have, of course, progressed beyond believing in otherworldly things, spirit, power, miracles, virgin births, physical resurrection from graves, sin. They're embarrassed that anyone would ever think that they would ever believe such things. And so here we are, not better, not better in any way than anyone else, but confronted by the same question, will we unashamedly embrace the otherworldliness of our faith? Will our faith rest in that place? And if we respond yes, then we must earnestly seek the spirit and the power to which full faith leads us. If we say yes, we will hope for, and we will pray for, and we will expect things beyond ourselves, beyond our ability, beyond our control, mind of Christ kind of things in this world. Have full faith, because God has those things for you and for me, his word, his spirit, and his power. Seek these otherworldly things. And I'll close with this very quickly. Please don't hear me saying that we should withdraw from the world into our little otherworldly huddle. No, no, may it never be. Jesus sends us into the world. But listen to Jesus' words 
that he speaks to his disciples who are locked away in fear just after he was resurrected. You are my witnesses. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We must take this otherworldly faith into the world. That's what it means to be a witness of Christ. But we dare not go into the world unless our faith is full. We are ill-prepared if we go only with words. If that's all we have, we should quote-unquote stay in the city as Jesus told his disciples to do and not go out. No, when we go, we go not only with words, but also in the Spirit of God, and we depend on the power of God. Jesus said so. Paul said, this is the stuff of true, full faith, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the power of God. This is how you and I live in this world as if our faith was not of this world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, for all this we give you thanks. For your word, thank you. For your Holy Spirit, thank you. For your power at work in us, thank you. Father, make us fully faithed people as we depend on all. For we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.